All right, who wants to get this? Who wants to get 88 done with? <laughs> Let's just get this shit out of the way. Yippee Kaye! I got some comments if you want about uh, your young guns. Save it, save it for the beginning of the podcast. Well, I'm trying to, but Dave has to start. Hey everybody, welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. This is the 1988 Part 2. This is our Top 5. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. What's up, guys? How you doing? So first up, I, uh, I did listen to your podcast on Young Guns, and I have to say you both are completely off. It is you're, you're judging the movie in, I don't know what criteria you should judge it in, but it's not, you don't, I don't think you should compare it to other Westerns, even though it is a Western technically. It's not made to compete with like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, The Unforgiven, or any of those movies. It's more of like a. It doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't. Yeah, no, no, I get totally dangerously agree. close to competing with any of those movies. It, I don't think it's trying to be a good Western movie. I think it's just trying to be an entertaining Western. And like just from the writing and from the, you know, the dialogue and the characters and the way they're doing it, I think they just intended to be f- just a fun, it's not a comedy, but just a fun Western. I think you did hit it right that the director was bad. I think the script was good. I think the actors were okay. But the directing, like there's a couple of scenes you were talking about, like how the geospace of the shootouts and all that stuff right. was just bizarre. And I agree with that. That like, kind of threw, threw it off. There's one scene where like they were at the river, I think, and they were like ambushing a guy, so they got ambushed. And like all they did was like drive, like they're just riding the horses in kind of circles. Like Charlie Sheen just like going this way, going that way. And like, you're not even going anywhere. He's like shooting every which direction. So it was like, it was bizarre. So I agree with that aspect of it. And and the score was terrible, and the script was actually terrible. So those are the only other two things that I would. Uh, no, nah, I don't think there. the script was. I don't think the script was that bad. I think they just did a bad job with it. Let me ask you this: Why? W- tell me what what sense does it make that Charlie goes into town to see that prostitute at one point, and how does that in any way relate to the rest of the story? Oh yeah, they have like extra scenes in it. So I think they cut out parts. I think Colin's view, if they were younger, would have been great. I could think if they were like fifteen, sixteen year olds, it would have really worked well. You know what really worked well is if they had a good director. Yeah, I think the director would. I, I think that is a flaw in it, but I still think but, it's but, a but fun. But Marcus, it, I think it's a, a movie, fun, enjoyable movie. If a movie has a bad director, the movie suffers. Yeah, I don't disagree, but it's just so. A, what, so I'm saying it's an inter, it's entertaining. Yeah, on certain levels. Yeah, but otherwise, it's it's not a very good movie. I would agree with that. I agree it's not a good movie, but I don't think... <laughs> well, then what's your point? It's still an entertaining... We might be roughly aligned then. <laughs> I think it's a very entertaining movie and like worth watching mm. and fun. I, I, I listened to the first like five or ten minutes of the pod today, and I believe we acknowledged that, yeah, it's a pretty entertaining movie. It's just not a very good movie. Right. All right. Maybe we're more aligned than not, but... <laughs> It's it's more it's more worth watching for watching what it is versus uh, yeah. being involved in the story. <laughs> That's the yeah yeah. Like it's not a complex story. Like it's a dumb revenge. But you know, yeah, I, I was thinking about this just at the beginning. Um, you know, Dave, you had mentioned this is like the um, the MTVification of a western. Right. Yeah. And I think they went in with that in mind, and then at some point they just sort of gave up. But then later on, they sort of add some stuff in. So it was really, really uneven. Yeah. I can't, I was trying to think of another movie to compare it to. And I can't think of like, it doesn't have to be the same genre, but like 
where they've done something similar. Like they're not trying to fire. Actually, that's the one that comes to mind for me. That's like, no, that that one. Flatliners, mobsters. Flatliners, maybe, but it's like no. But I'm thinking of like the vibe. Like they aren't going for, like a period, like a western. You go. You have a certain sense of what it should be, like in an action movie or adventure movie. This one just kind of like we're just gonna be goofy western. It didn't matter that it's a western. It's just more about like. They're using to, that. To me, it's strange though that you would go no. go so far as to have, have the characters actually ac- accurately named in terms of the historic people that existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, insane. Actually, there was I read too, like before, like uh, I was reading about it too. I'm like, wow, this is surprisingly accurate. <laughs> yeah, the movie is the movie is strangely uh, historically <laughs> I know, right? accurate. I didn't expect but, that at but, all. You know, so so to make it that way, but then not put any of the finishing touches on it in terms of like a better script, better yeah. dialogue. Not yeah. having Charlie Sheen in the movie. These yeah. are all things that could have made the movie better. I looked it up too because they had a keeper of Sutherland's character was Doc. So I'm like, oh, like this isn't the same. Um, he's a Doc Holiday. I thought that's who he was initially because they're referring to him as Doc. I'm like, wait, wait, this isn't the right time period. Doc Holiday was not a part of this. I'm like, I was trying to figure out, like, is that what they were trying to do? And then it turns out, like, I, that's why I ended up researching, I'm like, oh, is this really like a real group? But kind of funny. The, the Lincoln County War. Go maybe that's the, maybe that's the end result of Young Guns is that we all learned a little bit more about American yeah. history. There you go. Hey, there we go. These are like ultimately the, history the last, lessons. You got the last emperor. emperor. Um, wow. And then um, we're getting educated. The accidental tourist. We're going to learn learn about the um, the travel uh, industry and how to be a travel agent. So this is going to be great. Yeah, I sense yeah. I'm going to get another detention for that one, but. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah see that's, we you know, actually we still have to we still have to give you your detention assignment. By the way, Marcus, you should maybe you should just try watching these movies every once in a while. And I watched one of them, two of them, <laughs> parts. Yeah, Young Guns. I watched. I watched all of Young Guns. It was a great one. So we sure it's the top five, or do you want to keep talking about Young Guns? So I, we can go to the top five. Top five. I think Young Guns should make my top five, but well, if you want to throw it, it sounds in your like top you should. It's tempting. I see you've got you've got sort of a spacer at number five. I do, I do, but I'll I'll leave it how I have it, um, and I, I can start since we're uh, since we're here. So my number fifth spot, I have Beetlejuice. Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Beetlejuice is directed by Tim Burton. Uh, stars Michael Keaton and Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and Winona Ryder. I don't really have that much to say about it. <laughs> I would probably leave this spot blank. <laughs> I would probably leave this spot blank, but this one just kind of ended up that it's really not like a favorite movie of the year. It's an enjoyable movie. I enjoyed it when we watched it. You know, this, this movie is nowhere close to my top five for the year. I'll just put it in the number five spot. It's no, like it would be like 15th in 1987, but yeah. in 1988, there's not that many. It's still my number fifth movie, but it's like a very like, it's okay. The movie's fine. Love Winona Ryder. She was great in it. It's kind of a breakout movie, but yeah, I don't have that much to say. It's fun. I like Tim Burton. 
It's kind of goofy, silly. Michael Keaton was hilarious in it. He's kind of over the top, crazy. When's the last time you saw it? I haven't seen it in a long time, too. So that was okay. another reason why I'm like, oh, do I even put it in here? Like, I don't really want to rewatch this thing, but... Uh, I thought about trying to rewatch this movie for the, you know, for this year, but I, I didn't get a chance to do it. And honestly, it didn't show up as a high priority in terms of the stuff I, I wanted to rewatch anyways. Yeah, that's, just, that's I'm, the same I'm, way. I'm curious to know if I went back and saw it now, how much I would, you know, would it still hold up? Would I really like it? I, I remember enjoying it, but I was never uh, like a Beetlejuice like, oh my God, that was the greatest movie ever. I just, it was like, I liked it. It was fun. Uh, I Come think on. It's a, you know, it's a good performance from Keaton in particular. I don't know. You went, you went three times dressed up as Beetlejuice for Halloween, didn't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> never, never did, actually. <laughs> so, Colin, what's good. your take on this movie? I think I've only seen it like once or twice. Uh, it, I was, it was never one of my favorites. Yeah. I think it's just the, the Tim Burton and Beetlejuice being, or, or, or uh, Michael Keaton being very over the top. Good movie, just not one of my favorites. Are they making a sequel? I was a little bit confused by that. I know that they've been toying with the idea or it's been proposed many times over the years. I thought they're doing a remake. I don't know. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about Beetlejuice? Not really. Anything you want to say about Beetlejuice? Not really. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe I'll watch it again and see. Which brings us to number four. Colin, what do you got? Yeah, number four, I've got Working Girl. There isn't any room at the top for local girls like us. I'm not giving up. Melanie Griffith. How about you? I'm flat broke. I'm crazy about a man that I will probably never see again. What well, besides that? <laughs> In a new film directed by Mike Nichols. I'm telling you, she's your man. Working Girl. You know, maybe I just don't like you. Me? Nah. <laughs> Uh, working girl, which I did not. <laughs> what? What are you laughing about? Nothing. <laughs> Your enthusiasm for that was just. <laughs> yeah, that was not terribly enthusiastic. <laughs> All right. You're not. I had more. Uh, yeah, I, got a, I got right. a movie number four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good podcast so far. I mean, it, it really, it's it, it's just it's a good indicator of the general enthusiasm. It's 1988. For the, the movie year, 1988. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's just you know I had to find some movies and slot them in there. I really right. only have a top two for 1988. The others are just really more like shout outs or honorable mentions. But so I put Working Girl at number four. It's uh, directed by Mike Nichols. It stars Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, Joan Cusack, and Alec Baldwin. Why do I like this movie? I'm actually sort of surprised that it showed up here, but I have watched it several times over the years. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a good romantic comedy. It's got really good performances. Uh, I think this is probably Melanie Griffith's best work. She's she's quite good in it. Very, very likable. She also has a, a scene where she plays tipsy, like really well. It's very sort of funny. Is that, is that the, uh, you mean the bod for sin scene? Exactly. That yeah, that scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what she's saying, I've got a, a head for business and a bod, bod for, sin. for sin. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know they let bad girls into these things. Do I look like I don't belong here? No. Hmm. No, no, I'm sure you're a real ace at whatever it is that you do, do. Damn straight. But how you look. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. 
Um, Harrison Form. For, Harrison Form? <laughs> what the hell's that? <laughs> Harrison Ford. Uh, typically, you don't see him in rom-coms, right? But he's, he's really likable. He does a great job. They have, like, good chemistry together. Joan Cusack is really great um, as her friend and assistant. And then Sigourney Weaver is totally playing off type, at least I think so, unless there's something I'm missing, some movie out there that I'm missing. Um, you know, she plays um, Tess's, uh, that's Melanie Griffith's character, Tess McGill. Uh, so she plays Tess's uh, sort of like arrogant and backstabbing boss who's also in a relationship with Harrison Ford's character. Yeah, so it's like really good performances. It's well-written. It's got, it's got a makeover. It's got like a, and there's a lot of big hair in the beginning. A lot of big hair. A lot of big hair. Joan Cusack's um, hair in this movie is insane. It is amazing. And her eyeshadow is also quite stunning. I think her total head hair combination takes up about four to five square feet. Don't you think? Something like that? Roughly. <laughs> it's pretty, it's like a pretty big hair helmet. Maybe like a, like a Japanese shogun type of warrior. It's that sort of shape. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really good. I think that the formula is works really well you know it sort of is a more adult um, version of um secret of my success you know in that she's uh she she's really smart but just can't get just can't get that uh, the opportunity within the the corporation uh and so she sort of creates you know her own job or you know she steals someone's identity and and passes herself off as a as an executive and um and that's really fun it's uh like i said it's a good formula it's just a it's good movie you know not only i i'm i don't know what do you guys think about it because marcus was scoffing and i I noticed it's not on your list dave i watched it um probably once probably maybe a couple times in 88 just because we had it at the theater um as we always say I'm sensing a theme, by the way, with a lot of these movies <laughs> that we have on our list. A lot of them were at the theater. Yeah, well, uh, they, it, it was a fiveplex, and they all the movies cycled through there at some point. The reason it just seemed like a forgettable movie. I never understood why. It seemed fine. It seemed like it was like, and I haven't watched it in a long, long time, so I have no idea. Like maybe it's a lot better now, and maybe it was just who I was at the time watching it. But it just seemed like a kind of a boring, slow. The funny parts wasn't all that funny. So like, it's just like a romantic comedy, but. Uh, didn't find all that funny. Do you think? Do you think you've ever seen it since uh, high school? No, I don't think so. So I, I'd say rewatch it. Yeah, because it got so many nominations and stuff too. I never understood like back then. Like, why is this movie getting like six nominations? Whatever it was. Like, right. It was. Um, yeah. It, it was. I think it won one Oscar. But you know, yeah. uh, what Joan Cusack and Sigourney Weaver were both nominated for acting awards. Yeah, Melanie Griffith. Best, pic- best picture. Director. Maybe, yeah. yeah um, Wait, it was actually yeah. it was it was nominated for best picture. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike Nichols was nominated for director too. I think I had like nine nominations or something. That's a surprise. I didn't realize that. I like this movie. I, I think it's a good good movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, one thing that is, I think they do a really nice job with is how they wrap towards the ending. It's a it's a nice build towards you know the final moment where she's in the elevator with the dude that you know she's trying to cut the deal on and they have a couple seconds for her to you know make her pitch directly that's a you know it's a fun moment of empowerment i think so i think it comes across you know pretty well and, and the very end i think where she you know gets the office and all that i think the payoff is uh, it's fun it's a nice it's a nice build and the the relationship between Harrison Ford and Melanie Griffith is it's very sweet it's you know it's very you know like at the end when uh, 
when he's fixing her breakfast or whatever, and you know she's biting the toast and not that whole exchange. So they do a nice job chemistry-wise between the two of them. I think it's 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 this is probably maybe Harrison Ford's best romantic performance. <laughs> maybe I, I would think so. I mean, I, I, th- I think so because I can't really think of men- anything else other than Sabrina, which was not good. I don't know that I ever saw Sabrina, I, but I mean Harrison Ford obviously is not somebody that I generally associate with romance. I mean certainly there yeah. are small little you know romantic moments in between him and Mary and like that kind of thing, but when he's in Raiders, but uh, otherwise not a romantic or not a rom-com actor either. Like right. What's, what's the, I mean, the other movie that comes to mind is where he tried, cause he tried to get on the rom-com track for a little bit and he made, was it six days, seven nights, I think with. Oh yeah. Seven, Anne Hesh. Anne Hesh. Yeah. Um, never saw it. <laughs> so, I just, I, I don't think I was drawn to the idea of Harrison Ford in romantic leads, but I did see this movie and I liked it. I thought it was really good. And yeah, and Melanie Griffith's performance in particular is it's very, it's a, it's a credible, solid performance. You know, I don't know how many movies I can, I, I, this is the movie. If I, if you're gonna say, Hey, what's a Melanie Griffith movie? It's either this or body double. Those are the two that come to mind. So I don't know what else might come to mind for you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a big Melanie Griffith fan but I think she's really winning in this movie. So that's one of the reasons I like it. it does have that Carly Simon song that just in your face pretty aggressively. <laughs> I used to really hate that song, but now I, I think it's, it's, a, it's fine. Like every time I watch the movie, I'm like, I'm just sort of expecting it. I think I've, I've warmed up to it, but it's yeah. not. I wonder about the, because it won best song. That, at as the I say, that's where they won the Oscar on was the song. Yeah. I just sort of want, wonder, should they really get rid of that category? Oh, just as I mean an original song for a movie. Yeah, I mean, how many how many movies have an original song? Well, and it's just a song that's you you just uh, adapt it to fit it in the movie because it's a cool well, cool sounding song, right? I, I mean, think it's just an easy get for an Oscar. I mean, I could see you know fifty, sixty years ago, seventy years ago, where there were a lot, you know, when the, there are a lot more musicals and and you could have this is like a relevant category. Nowadays, I just don't see it. I think they should just get rid of it. Personally, I think the Annie Elfman should have won, but who for to say? best song, yeah. what, what song? He had two. He had one Beetlejuice, Midnight Run, and Beetlejuice. So, uh, what was the one for Midnight Run? I don't know. Some song. <laughs> he did the music in it. <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to be funny. Thing. All right. Uh, by, by the way, Dave, did you just recently rewatch Working Girl or? No, I, I just, I'm familiar with it I, for whatever reason. Maybe I saw it a couple times at the movie theater. My number three film is The Naked Gun. In this city, there's crime on every street. But one man has seen enough. He's Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Whatever scum did this, not one man on this force will rest for one minute until he's behind bars. Now let's grab a bite to eat. Starring Leslie Nielsen, a cop who's always on the alert. In a movie so big, it had to be filmed in color. The Naked Gun, from the files of Police Squad. Let me just say four words, which are beer, popsicle, grapes, cake. Which is, of course, the sequence of items that George Kennedy eats in the stands at the baseball scene at the end of this movie. Um, so, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Then. They, they, that was, used to be a joke. So this is, you know, from the... It's directed by David Zucker. It's part of the Zucker Abrams crew. Uh, I would say that this is the best, or maybe not the best, maybe I think the top three are Naked Gun, Airplane, and Top Secret for these type of kind of the, you know, the Zazz films, the wacky Zazz films. Would you guys agree with that? Yes, it's my least favorite of the Zazz films, but it's still very, very, very funny. 
The Naked Gun is your least favorite of yeah. the Zaz films? Really? Yeah. Yeah. What do you have? You have Airplane in the top. I probably get yeah, airplane, airplane, Top Secret, Airplane Two, and The Naked Gun. I would put Airplane Two behind this. I would say so I, I can't because it's simply because of the the Shatner, Shatner stuff. Yeah. Oh, the Shatner yeah. stuff just kills. Airplane Two Shatner is great. Originally, there was a, a I think it was a six episode series in 1982 called Police Squad, and it was. Did you guys watch it? Uh, you know, I so I watched Police Squad when I was growing up, and I remember thinking yeah. it was hilarious. And I remember it was you know, kinda, so funny, kind of thinking it was it was one of those shows that because I would have been eleven when it came out, right? And it was one of those shows that just hit at the perfect time, and it was so much fun because they used to play on all these classic like cop show, and the the the, the classic one was the end of the episode where everybody would stop and they would talk and freeze like the camera froze, but then there'd be like one person like at the criminal who's in the, the still in frame, who's looking around and everybody's frozen and then he tries to speak oh, yeah, to the yeah. police station and things like that. <laughs> so, so the, the original police squad, and in fact, you can find the episodes online. They're still fun to watch, very creative. And this, this kind of takes that energy and, you know, ramps it to 11. The performances in this movie, I think are great. And Leslie Nielsen obviously is front and center as Lieutenant Frank Drebin. And the, the greatness of his role is that He's playing it straight, so it's very similar to his role in Airplane, you know. And he's inc- he's incredibly stupid, but he's very earnest, and he wants to do a good job. And so the combination of those factors kind of form his personality. The the, the antics that he gets into are just it's it's great. It's a combination of verbal humor, you have physical humor, all kinds of sight gags they do. It's like it runs the gamut in terms of the, you know, how funny this movie is or the type of humor that it uses. George Kennedy is his partner, so that's fun. And you have the good partner cop energy. Um, O.J. Simpson shows up in there as well. So that's a weird, it's weird to see O.J. Simpson on the screen. He plays kind of like a wily e. Coyote uh, role where he's just getting, you know, banged up and burned and smashed and all that. Uh, so that's kind of funny. Priscilla Presley's in it, and there's a there's really good there's genuine chemistry between Priscilla Presley and Leslie Nielsen. It's kind of fun. They have a nice they have a nice romantic energy, and there's one you know great sequence where when they start dating, there's this there's this fantastic kind of rip on '80s montages where they're out you know doing stuff around the day. And uh, oh my god, it's hilarious. <laughs> you want you want to jump in here? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I just it kills me when it, when they come out of the movie theater just like laughing their asses off and then you see the the marquee it's platoon platoon (laughs) (laughs) but what's great is after all that and they're doing all these different things right they're getting a hot dog they're running at the beach and then at the very end you know Drebin says oh we had such a nice day (laughs) it's it's showing like all these different things all these different places and then oh that was such a great day yeah. Oh, so, um, so they're yeah. So they're great together. Their chemistry is fantastic. Um, Ricardo Montalban shows up as Vincent Ludwig as the bad guy. He's hilarious. So he's doing you know full full Montalban. He's uh, you know just kind of putting it all out there. Lots of funny you know energy. And then you even have like people like John Hausman shows up uh, in an uncredited role as a driving instructor that uh, briefly you know Frank Drebin carjacks to uh, chase down somebody in one of the film's you know funnier moments. Turn right. Follow him to the right. It's okay. Normally, you would not be going 65 down the wrong way of a one-way street. Jump, run! Well, Stephanie, gently extend your arm. Extend your middle finger. Very good. Well done. And it's kind of funny to me that that's actually his last on-screen role. 
So, oh, is it really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So he just you know, shows up. The, the dialogue in this movie is incredibly, uh, it's a combination of smart and stupid, but it's funny. They do all kinds of, you know, there's all sorts of ways that they use the dialogue. So, you know, one is there's all these casual throwaway lines that references that reference these horrible things that happen and they just kind of breeze over them. So one of the, one of the classic ones is uh, Frank Drebin's lieutenant is, uh, you know, bagging on him about something about his, you know, I don't want any trouble like what happened on the South Side last year. And Drebin replies, well, when I see five maniacs stabbing somebody in full view of a thousand people, I shoot the bastards. And then his boss says, that was a Shakespeare in the park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. <laughs> you know, so that's like, okay, so they're just referencing that Drebin like gunned down five people, right? So this, that's just, it's all this sort of like verbal insanity. Oh, Drebin. I don't want any more trouble like you had last year on the South Side. Understand? That's my policy. Yes. Well, when I see five weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a guy in the middle of the park in full view of a hundred people, I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. That was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. You killed five actors. Good ones. You know, there's other stuff like he opens a drawer when he's searching... Ludwig's office and he you see him say bingo and then of course he pulls out a bingo card uh there's the very famous one where he's looking at the ladder with Priscilla Presley's on there and he says nice beaver and then she of course hands down a stuffed beaver uh, to me the probably the highlight of this movie is the is the 10 minute sequence the baseball sequence at the end of the movie I would I'd argue you take that 10 minutes and you compare it to almost any other 10 minutes of film and I would say it's just as funny or funnier because the it starts where he impersonates Enrico Palazzo and does like the worst national anthem you've ever heard and actually sings it in a way that to this day when I hear the national anthem I sing it wrong in my head because of this movie <laughs> I, I actually do I, it's like you know I, I want to sing it the way that the way that Frank Drebin slash Enrico Palazzo is singing it And the other thing is that where he then impersonates the umpire and he's calling balls and strikes and he gets all excited about, you know, the fact that he has this power to call balls or strikes. And that that whole sequence is just amazing. I, I, this movie to me is so, some of the jokes don't land, but there are so many of them and they're coming at you so fast that if you know one doesn't work, there's going to be another one 30 seconds later that is going to hit. Some of the stuff they do in terms of visuals or how they play on Drebin's stupidity in relation to the visuals is great. The, there's a, a great moment where he pulls his car. He, every time he pulls his car and he crashes into something. And so he pulls his car up, he crashes, the airbag goes off. He starts walking down the street. The airbag trips the, the parking brake on his car and his car starts driving towards him. And then he basically jumps out of the way and starts shooting at his own car. And he's yelling at everybody. He's like, did anyone see the driver? Did anyone get a look at the driver? And then you see him recognize on his face that it was his car. And you see him just kind of I gotta get uh, moving. <laughs> so, I don't that, know. I, I, I have to say, I, I, I just I wanted to talk about it that as well because that was I didn't remember that one because I just rewatched it recently. I didn't yeah. remember that, but yeah, when he's like starts to take control of the crowd and and uh, he's telling the uh, other officers to take down everyone's information and and then the, just this look comes over his face, this slow realization that. Hey! Oh shit! That was my car. That was my car. <laughs> and he's just like, uh, and he sort of slinks away. It's so funny. Yeah, it's an it's a super impressive Leslie Nielsen performance. I mean, he he plays the straight man. He has to be like one of the all time greats at that. Because when you compare that uh, to his performance in Airplane, 
you know it's just it's it's so good oh yeah the baseball game too i it's so so funny and everything with the umpires is hilarious i mean i love seeing him behind the plate when when the umpires get into a rundown like so it's you know between first and second there's a lecture and now krishoni has the umpires in a rundown right (laughs) (laughs) this is so funny and then and then all the umpires are arguing with frank and then he pulls out a gun and they're like, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. You went, you went. <laughs> you went. <laughs> so funny. All right. I love the fact that the queen's at the game and they're, they're asking her to pass down hot dogs and beers like that. You know, like that oh, sort yeah. of thing. Just, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and getting back to the dialogue for a minute, you know, it's the, it's just like one there, another example of one little funny throwaway thing, you know, like Drebin's like cleaning out his office and he's frustrated and he, he pulls out a bag and he says, oh, look at that. The missing evidence in the Kellner case. He was innocent, and then right. and then George Kennedy replies with Frank. He went to the chair three years ago. And he's just like, oh well, never mind. And he stuffs it back in the drawer. Uh, this is this is I this is this is a movie that if you're if you just want to watch something to laugh, that's that's why you should watch this movie. It's just great. It's a good one. Marcus, anything anything you want to add about uh, on the Naked Gun? No, no, no. I added number four, and uh, I agree. It's funny. Every time they, they show like uh, baseball bloopers up on the, the big screen, I'm always expect, expecting to see a tiger get the, uh, the guy that's sliding into second base. <laughs> or, or, or the, uh, the shortstop getting run over by a car. Like a guy bouncing off the hood. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a good one. So for my number three, I have a fish called Wanda. Otto is a man of many talents. Hey, great fish. A little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken Walker is a man of few words. Tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. Thirteen millions, my friends. And wonder. Do you speak Italian? Molto pericoloso. Is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime. To twenty million. To a job well done. But it turned into something. George moved the loot. Less than perfect. Disappointed. It is a caper movie, a heist movie, good movie, it's a comedy, a comedic heist, <laughs> like film. a comedic heist film. I yeah. thought it was a courtroom drama, a courtroom drama. Like it's got it all. It stars uh, John Cleese, who also wrote it, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, and Michael Palin. And it's just a very smartly written, very funny movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely it's one that you should watch. Kevin Klein won the Academy Award for it. I don't think it was really nominated for much else, but I can be wrong. Someone can prove me wrong. But I think it's just a very clever heist comedy. And it's like, it kind of like plays off a lot of the differences between the US and Britain. And uh, Kevin Klein's is like three Academy Awards, Colin tells three, me. Well, three nominations. Three nominations. Yeah. What were the other two? What were the other two categories? I would hope screenplay. Visual effects. <laughs> uh, uh, best director, Charles Crichton. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Something else. Should have paid more attention to that. Yeah, the Charles Charles Crichton thing is interesting. You know, he directed his first movie in 1944. Jeez. I've never (laughs) heard Charles Crichton. So he did a a ton of uh, television and a fair amount of British television and a few movies. He did did film early on. And, you know, he actually came back to direct this movie as a a favor to John Cleese. Because John Cleese asked him to come back and do it specifically, and he hadn't done anything in quite a while. And this was, twenty-three year gap. Yeah, yeah. This was this was his most successful. The last movie he made was the most successful film that he made, and it was uh, way beyond anything that he had otherwise done in terms of notoriety. Yeah, actually, I do know him. 
because he he directed the Lavender Hill Mob, which is a really great movie with Alec Guinness. Yeah, John Cleese. It was like his uh, Fish Called Wonder was like his personal project, right? Like it was. Yeah, they, and they wrote the script, or they were working on the script and story for five years, I think. Something yeah. like that. Like uh, John Cleese had it tucked away for quite a while. Yeah, it's quite different than the usual because he's done a lot of uh, obviously Monty Python stuff, and it has a very different vibe than the Monty Python uh, that he's kind of known for. But still similar humor, but not the. It's less um, slapstick, so he's a little more like less. Uh, it's a little more like cerebral, a little more like a kind of wackiness of. It's. I, I think it's Python. a. It, it's a smart script. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not really slapstick per se. I mean, there are a few. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, there, there there are a few moments where it's. But it's it's actually that's one of the things because I I watched this with Mia too. We did a lockdown on it. The script and the you know the double crossing and sort of the triple crossing. And there's lots going on, but it it's actually laid out very. Uh, it's very easy to understand. So it's kind of you know it's complicated but uh, super straightforward at the same time. I think it's a, it's a actually a really intelligent piece of writing. Yeah. And the, I thought the humor is just great. I thought uh, Kevin Klein is amazing in it as uh, Otto, the the brash, dumb American. And uh, oh, Kevin Kevin Klein in this, he's I, just I, so I, funny. Yeah, I'm I stupid. Just, I just rewatched this, you know, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and forgotten how great Kevin Klein is in this film and his performance. You pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed English giant twerp scumbag fuckface dickhead asshole. Very interesting. You're a true vulgarian, aren't you? You're the vulgarian, you fuck! Now apologize! What, uh, me to you? Apologize. Perfect example is the apology sequence, you know, where he hangs, he hangs Archie out the window, and then Archie does this very thoughtful apology while he's hanging off the side of the building. But then I had forgotten that Otto actually chases him down with a gun, and holds him at gunpoint to apologize. Do you guys remember that? No, no, I haven't seen the movie in a while. Jamie Lee Curtis wants him to apologize, and so he goes to meet John Cleese. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sees him and runs away because he's afraid of him. And and so, and so, yeah, he holds him down at gunpoint to apologize to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just little things like that. The character, <laughs> the auto character, everything that Kevin Klein does is, is fantastic. Yeah, it's well-deserved Academy Award. Oh, his interaction with the uh, wife when he's like in the, uh, he like got caught in the uh, in the apartment and the wife's Al- like who are Alfred you man for jensen yeah and he's like <laughs> he's like oh RK, yeah we have a, it's an rk have, red 27 technique we got a uh, kgb spy we're holding next door it's it's very top secret she's like then why are you telling everyone he's like oh, it's a smoke screen he's it's like very very funny look you obviously don't know anything about intelligence work lady it's an xk red 27 technique my father was in the Secret Service, Mr. Manfred Jinsinjan, and I know perfectly well that you don't keep the general public informed when you are debriefing KGB defectors in a safe house. Oh, you don't, huh? Not unless you're congenitally insane or irretrievably stupid, no. Don't call me stupid. Why on earth not? It's a great... <laughs> Double bluff? <laughs> yeah, he's just like trying to like... You know where you'd be without the good old US of A? The smallest fucking empire in the Ger- <laughs> province in the German Empire. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. He's great. Yeah, it's a fun one. So, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I was hoping to uh, rewatch it this week. So it ended up in my third spot. Um, on HBO Max. Colin, did you uh, rewatch it recently? Yeah, we did like a couple weeks ago. Uh, okay. Maybe three weeks ago or something like that. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, it's a, it, I hadn't seen it in quite a long time. So it's always fun to pull that one out. 
Yeah, the other performances are really good too. So Jamie Lee Curtis is fun. She has the combo of the kind of smart and sexy and, you know, and she's manipulating everybody and that's kind of fun to see. She's using her sexuality to do it, uh, making all these men look like morons. Uh, John Cleese, I, th I thought actually, I thought the chemistry between John Cleese and Jamie Lee Curtis is really strong. Like you actually kind of, you know, you're, you're pulling for them or at least you're sympathetic to Archie in particular. I had forgotten at the end of the movie that uh, John Cleese, you know, jumps on a plane to go escape with, uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis and he leaves his wife and daughter. He just runs out on him. Yeah. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten that actually. <laughs> you know? Well, the, the, I mean, the whole, the scenes with his wife and daughter are great because so it good. just like shows this, like sort of that, that, that quiet desperation of the English middle-class man. And he just, he suffers yeah, he plays it, like, so much, of... you know, like it's, it's really good. The juxtaposition between the the sex uh, the sex scene with uh, Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis, and then it cuts to you know John Cleese and his wife in the bedroom, and she's sort of looking at him like kind of out the side of her eye as she's taking off her underwear. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. And, and then also, he, has the he has the daughter that just wants a nose job and a new horse. Like that's you know so the, they, they do set it up that the poor bastard is just not having a good time. <laughs> and then I th Michael Palin as uh, Ken is uh, fantastic. He does a really good job with the role. Ken. It's coming to kill. No, he does a really good, uh, uh, good job with the role, and the it just he's. I think he's quietly understated about uh, how strong that role is and stuff. Yeah, I think he holds a lot of it together too. It's fun. Palin is great. The you know watching because knowing that he's an animal lover, and yeah. the whole situation with the dogs, and the fact that he gets injured every time as well, and so. Uh, over the course of the movie, you know, he has the sling on his arm, the eye patch. He's just getting, he's like that dog Lucky. And, you know, <laughs> you see in the joke posters. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. It's good. I, I, the, the, you know, what's interesting when you watch it now, it's like, eh, is the, the stuttering thing, like, is that going to, you know, would that, how well would that play now? And also Otto kind of uses the gay panic thing with him a little bit, right? So those two oh, things yeah. probably did not age, don't age super well, but it's still a really funny, well-made movie. I want to see it. I look forward to hearing the uh, the lockdown with uh, Mia to see what she thought of it. Yeah, she liked it. No oh, good. Yeah. No. Oh, don't have to listen yeah. to that podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> When's that coming out? Was it after this one? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. When it gets out there. Okay. Keep, keep your eye out for it. Coming soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's one thing I, I totally remember from when this movie came out. The whole cast was on Oprah, and I just happened to be watching Duck TV that day and uh, loved the movie. So you can be honest, you love Oprah and you watch it. Yes, yeah, so I watched Oprah every single day. So they asked um, Oprah asked Kevin Klein about the the scene where he like dangles the fish over his over his mouth and then he like drops it in and eats it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, um, "Oh my god! So did you really you know eat a live fish?" And he said, "No, no, no. They were stunt fish." <laughs> Uh, great line great line well deserved well deserved oscar okay all right over to you colin what do you got in your number two spot my number two is maybe the i think one of, it's the one of the best sports movies if not the best sports movie of all time it is bull durham love is a lot like baseball not whether you win or lose it's how you play the game no problem, no problem, no problem. kevin costner get a hit crash Shut up. Susan Sarandon. Have you ever been tied up in bed? Tim Robbins. I'm too old for this. Bull Durham. 
I think it's the best. I, I would argue that it's the maybe the best baseball movie for sure. It's I think it's well, yeah, it's it's I it definitely gets baseball right. That's what I one of the things I love about it. Is Bloodsport is Bloodsport a sports movie? Bloodsport is not a sports movie. <laughs> okay, sorry. Wait, right. so no, Bloodsport's a sports movie, but it's not that kind of sports movie. <laughs> Karate Kid. Do, I, there, what other sports movies are you thinking of? Because me, The Natural. Like Rocky? I think the I think Rocky. baseball movies Rudy? are probably the best sports movies. I've never seen Rudy for personal re- reasons, but I can just <laughs> tell you that Rudy sucks. An anti Notre Dame <laughs> bias, <laughs> something like that. Hoosiers. Uh, I've never seen Hoosiers either, though. Uh, Hoosiers is really good. Yeah. Space Jam? Nope. Definitely not. No. Anyway, okay. We could talk about sports movies another time. This is a great sports movie. It's a great baseball movie. It's a great romantic comedy and sports movie. Written and directed by Ron Shelton, who himself, he himself has, has a, had a career in minor league baseball. So he knows what he's talking about, which is why this movie is so smart about baseball. Yeah, one thing to jump on there. So uh, this is this is, to me, one of the best... Kevin Costner performances out of any oh, of his films. Yeah. And Without I think, a doubt. And I was thinking about, okay, why, why is this such a good performance? And it's because he is so, he feels so natural, right? It feels so natural and he's naturally charismatic. And I was kind of thinking, I'm like, oh, what's the, you know, is, is this my favorite Kevin Costner performance? And I was thinking about, well, what other, you know, movies are really like? And, and Tin Cup came to mind, right? Because I love, I love his uh, Roy McElroy character that he creates in Tin Cup. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, it's the same director. yeah. Ron Shelton, I, I didn't realize that. I mean, Ron Shelton had a good run of uh, a, a few different sports movies there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. no, he's great. He's he's really great. Yeah. And, of course, Costner, you know, he used to play baseball. He played in college. Uh, so he's he's a naturally gifted baseball player. I think he, he could have gone to the majors. He just, he looks effortless in this. I think you're totally right. He's also, you know, just on the the romance side, I think he's probably at the apex of his sex appeal. I mean, the man looks so great in this movie. He's got amazing chemistry with Susan Sarandon. By the way, I'm going to back you up on this. I'm going to say that he is, he's very handsome and very uh, charismatic in this film. I have a slight um, man. Yeah. yeah. I, the whole, you know, what do you believe in speech is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, There's a bit of a contradiction. But... What, what is did he, he believes that Lee Harvey, Crash Davis believes Lee Harvey Oswald was uh, active alone. Are you re- referencing the, the Jim Garrison character from JFK? <laughs> there you go. Was that part of that speech? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Right. I haven't even seen the movie. I know this. Come on now. The, the cock, the pussy, you know, uh, high fiber, good scotch. Yeah, high fiber, good, good scotch. Uh, Lee and Harvey Oswald acted alone. Long, wet, slow long, kisses. Long, slow, last. deep, soft, wet kisses that last for three days. Yeah. It's a, it's a good speech. Yeah, it's a really good speech. What do you believe in then? Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Good night. Good night. And of course, the baseball aspect of this, um, I just, it gets it right. I love the fact that it's, you know, it takes place 
in the minor leagues because it's it's a little more pure you know there's no focus on the major leagues and and everything around being like a you know a, a professional sports star these guys are not stars you know and and their their lives you know filled with you know road trips on you know broken down buses and yeah and then you got the whole aspect of the veteran player mentoring the really super talented rookie ball player you know, and, and showing him how to be a professional. Yeah. The mentorship, the, the, and the relationship between uh, Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner in this movie is really good. The, yeah. I, you know, the, the opening scene where, you know, he challenges him to a fight and they go into the back and he's going to, you know, he's basically challenging him to throw, throw a ball at his chest. And of course, yep. you know, he throws it through the window instead. And then they have a, a brief altercation, but then he says, I'm your new catcher. And he picks him up and then he takes him into the bar and he says, he's going to buy you a drink. It's it's a nice start to their relationship. And then what's, what's funny is that as the movie progresses, he does all these little things to help him and including at one point, like Susan Sarandon gives Tim Robbins garters to wear while he's pitching to, to occupy his mind. And uh, one of the things that Crash Davis does is at one point he adjusts his garters on him. He says, no, he, he, he takes he's wearing them backwards. He's like, you're wearing them backwards. He's like, no, no, the rose needs to be in the front. <laughs> so it's like, like his mentorship knows no bounds actually. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty funny. They have, a, they have a good relationship. You know, like purposely telling about her what pitch was coming next who then like, you know, hits a home run off of him off yeah. of new, just to teach him a lesson about like, don't thinking like, listen, listen to what your catcher, you know, listen to your catcher. Right. And then all the other stuff, like, um, you know, teaching him all of the different cliches to use when talking to reporters. Right. The, the, you know, sort of the, um, the cocksucker scene with the umpires. No, is it, that's a good one. Oh baseball, yeah. Right. That's a great like, one. You want me to call you? You want me to call you? <laughs> he finally does. He gets thrown out of the game. <laughs> The rain delay, setting up, creating a rain delay, you know, because yeah. they needed a day off. Um, all that stuff is great. And then just like the baseball isms. And then my favorite scene in the movie, my the, the single my single favorite scene is the uh, <laughs> where they're in the middle of the game. And for different reasons, they all start coming towards the mound. And then finally, <laughs> the, you know, the manager sends Robert Wool in this movie is actually really good. He's funny. He's got it. You know, he's got some some great, great dialogue. But he comes out and he says, OK, well, you know, what's going on? He's like, what's happening? He's like, well, Nuke's having trouble because he's he's not breathing through his eye correctly. And uh, he's like, and, and you know, uh, Julio has a cursed glove and we need a live rooster to take care of that. He's like, and we can't figure out what to get Millie and Bobby for their, you know, wedding ceremony. Whatever. He's like, look, we're dealing with a lot of shit out here. Like, that's just so great. What the hell's going on out here? Well, Nuke's scared because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. We need a live, was it a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. We're yeah. dealing with a lot of shit. Well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift and uh, maybe we can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get to it. Here we go. Yo, what you <laughs> I love that scene. This one, oh, so much fun. And then Robert Wool totally he like just responds, you know, like like he doesn't even flinch and he just says like you know do this and I, I'll like can, candlesticks can, make a nice make, make a nice gift uh, or, check, or check the registry yeah yeah <laughs> really really good really good stuff yeah uh, Marcus I think this is uh, not on your list in fact you've never seen I've, this movie I've never seen it so I have it on a list to watch so this is definitely I'll worth watching yeah. So I, I am. So I think we talked about this maybe in the last podcast. But why again did you just miss this movie? I just missed it. Some movies you miss. Oh, I will get back to it. Never circled back around. 
I will someday. Right. This movie holds a special place in my heart because it was a first date movie for me. <laughs> you can imagine, you know, going to this as a first date movie, like with the amount of sexual content is in this movie. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, funny. Huh? Yeah. My, my first date movies, uh, three of them, you know, Jacob's Ladder, Aliens, and Bull Durham. It's an interesting cross-section of first date films. <laughs> <laughs> so Susan Sarandon's performance in this film, it's, uh, she's great. So she has, you know, she's very sexy. She has a ton of fun energy. She's, they make her out to be very, she's very intelligent. So she is, you know, somebody who is into reading the classics. In fact, you know, she does that occasionally to the ball players that she's dating. She's also very pragmatic and, you know, is, she's a very strong female character because she's just out to, you know, get what she wants out of life, basically. Of course, she ends up falling for Crash. And how they come together at the end is, it's a nice payoff to the the romantic build between the two of them i will say the score at the very end of that movie that gets a little rough like with a they have, you know sex scene that it's pretty pretty heavy sax influence <laughs> sax again hey it's the 80s the 80s cannot escape the saxophone so that's the the, the score at the end is it gets a little rough there but uh overall just really good movie great performances sax and that just reminded me of um my favorite scene and not my favorite scene in, in Moonstruck, but the one that I always say every time we, I watch it, I'm like, oh, this music, because it's like that saxophone, like smooth jazz. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, I'm glad the 80s are over because we don't have to listen to saxophone anymore. I have to watch it. Look forward you to should, it. Oh, definitely. You, you'll love it. You'll love it. Yeah. Also, just I coming from a baseball background, this movie just gets everything right. I mean, I love how Susan Sarandon, she's like sending the players notes and they're like good notes, you know, uh, about how to improve. Like, you know, you're dropping your shoulder when you're, you know, when you're at bat or just that's that sort of thing. And then Crash is talking through his at bats. Uh, it's just really, really, really good. So if you like baseball and you haven't seen this movie, <clears throat> Marcus, you should definitely watch it because it's very intelligent on that aspect. I'll have to check it out. My my enthusiasm for baseball is waned with the Giants. Um, I did not know this, but apparently Crash Davis, which by the way is one of the all-time great baseball names. It's a great baseball name. Based on a real player, Lawrence Crash Davis. Yeah. Did he also have the minor league home run record? No, he did not. He got called up to the majors like in the um, 40s, but then he had to go into the Navy and then he never made it back into the majors. But he bounced around the minor leagues, including in um, Durham, North Carolina. Hmm. And so he was actually became somewhat of a um, minor celebrity in um, uh, when this movie came out because it was named after him. But it wasn't really modeled after him, but it was definitely named after him. So. Um, my number one movie for 1988 is Midnight Run. It is a comedy directed by Martin Brest, who directed uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Stars Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, Yafik Kodo, and Dennis Freene, among a few others. It's an excellent, excellent, funny movie. I think it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's uh, De Niro's first comedy, really. De Niro plays a bounty hunter. He has to chase down the Duke, who's played by Charles Grodin, who stole, he's an accountant who stole money from the mob. It ends up being a great, like, kind of, um, like a road trip buddy movie. De Niro plays Jack Walsh. Jack Walsh uh, captures the Duke in Chicago and he has to get him to Los Angeles. And then Grodin does everything he can to kind of make it difficult because he doesn't want to get a, obviously he doesn't want to go to jail. And it ends up being a nice chase movie. So like he won't get on a plane. They have to take the train and cars and all sorts of stuff. 
They're being chased by another bounty hunter, Marvin, who's played by John Ashton, who's just hilarious. And nothing personal, Jack, but fuck off, all right? Make it easy. Jesus. Marvin, what's up? <clears throat> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Got the whole fucking force after me, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right down here. You're gonna stand there with your thumb up your ass, and you're gonna get me the fuck out of here. They're being chased by the mob who wants to kill Grodin, and they're being chased by the FBI, and they're just leaving a mess of like destruction as they go. The movie really focuses on De Niro and Grodin and like the relationship between those two. And it's just hilarious. Man, it's a great, like, a chase movie, a road trip movie, just a very, very funny, like, De Niro, from all of his previous roles, he kind of plays that same character, but then he's just, like, silently hilarious hilarious in it. And it just ends up being, the writing is so, so good in this movie. I just love it. Hey, hey Colin, I have a question. You, you didn't have this on your list. I'm curious uh, honorable, as to why. Honorable mention. Oh, yeah, there's an honorable mention. So yeah. how far outside of your top five would you would you place this? right outside okay. like maybe number six one of the interesting things it was uh after de niro did the untouchables he wanted to do a uh, lighter movie so he's looking for a comedy and his first uh pick he wanted to do was big and the uh, studio turned him down for as the lead in big which de niro i think and big. <laughs> <laughs> you see him like bouncing on the piano yeah i think it was a good uh the studio was smart the fucking keys <laughs> <laughs> And then also Harrison Ford was uh, considered for Jack Walsh for that role also. The interesting one that I saw, though, was a role for the Duke. Paramount initially wanted it to be Cher, which I thought was a weird choice. They wanted to switch the role to female. Um, and then there was some concern about like mm. uh, De Niro and Cher. Would it be like too much uh, sexual? Are, are uh, they going to do it? Like, are yeah, they yeah, do yeah it? there'd be like a little bit like too much there. Yeah. Uh, so Breast was one who re- kind of rejected that idea. Um, then the studio was trying to push Robin Williams for that role. And Williams read for it and almost, and, and he really liked the script. But uh, Martin Brest had already, because um, uh, the studio wanted someone a lot more popular. And Charles Grodin was that well known then. Martin Brest had already uh, done the reading with uh, Grodin. And so he really wanted to pop for him. That's the, the strength of this movie is the pairing between De Niro and Grodin. It's the, one of the great all time screen yeah. pairings. <laughs> and. De Niro, I love De Niro in this movie. He, he gets, it's fun because he's kind of, he's simultaneously a man of principle, but he's also, you know, kind of a weasel. Like he's willing to act, cut corners and find ways to, to get ahead. Um, his look is fun, right? They give him the leather jacket. They give him these physical characteristics and ticks. Like he, you know, he's, he's looking at his watch constantly and, and that ends up playing off, you know, later in the movie. They have these little moments where they, they make his character, they have, he has this, this fun energy. Like when he steals the badge from, um, from Yafit Koto in the beginning and he's getting out of the car. There, there's one second where he, he spins and he flips out the badge like he's doing an FBI yeah. arrest. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you remember that, right? So it's little, they give him these little tiny characteristics to make him, he's simultaneously, he's a little playful, he's gruff, you know, he's exasperated, he's constantly exasperated. And that's one of the things that between the chemistry between De Niro and Charles Grodin in terms of how they, how they play off of each other and how Grodin specifically just keeps needling De Niro yeah. through this entire Not movie. It's nonstop, and he, you know, he 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 tells him about he's he can help him, you know, have a better eating plan, and you know, <laughs> and that's just like getting De Niro frustrated on the train. Familiar with the word arteriosclerosis, cholesterol. You want to outline a complete balanced diet for you? Well, mail it to me from C Block. Why would you eat that? Why? Yeah, it tastes good, but it's not good for you. I'm aware of that. 
Well, why would you do something that you know that's not good for you? Because I don't think about it. Well, that's living in denial. He's, you know, he talks about he, when, you know, De Niro references the Chicago Police Department, then he just starts asking him over and over again. Why aren't why you, you popping pop the Chicago Police Department until, like, De Niro gets, like, really pissed off and... I'll tell you why. She married a police lieutenant, and I'm not very popular with the Chicago Police Department, okay? Why aren't you popular with Chicago Police that's Department? That's a whole other... What, do we know each other? Get, what did... Take why? Why? What did you do? Why aren't you popular with Chicago Police Department? That's something that really doesn't concern you. She hurt you, Janet? Yeah. I'm sorry. What are you sorry about? I'm sorry you're hurt. I'm not hurt. You just said you were hurt. I'm not hurt. You just said you were hurt. I didn't hurt. say I was hurt. You said I was I hurt. I asked you if you were hurt, and you said, yeah, I'm hurt. That's because you you made me say it. You're starting to put words in my mouth. Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words. You're goddamn right I do. So here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. Even how Groden, like watching Groden interact with other people, other characters in the movie, like there's a great moment where De Niro is trying to buy the bus ticket and he's trying to use a credit card that says Jack Walsh and he has the Alonzo Mosley FBI identification and the woman who's selling him the ticket looks at him and says, well, you know, what name should you be, or should I actually be using? And you see Charles Groden like sitting there like winking at the bus attendant, like <laughs> the woman at the counter. It's just, this, and then Yafit Koto in this movie is awesome. He is so much fun because he's he's the FBI guy who's after Jack Walsh, and his his whole arc is that he gets more and more exasperated and pissed off throughout the course of the movie. And so there's like the scene on the plane where, you know, one of one of his the guys he's working with says, "Well, that must mean that Walsh has your identification." You just see Yafit Koto like spin and just glare at the dude. <laughs> he's just he has this like simmering frustration that is just uh, it's so much fun. He's he's great in the movie. His real name's Mosley. I'm Did uh, Yafit Koto leave the FBI and then go work for the Baltimore Homicide Division? He may have. He might have. Same character. I, I feel like they're, they're very, very similar. Dennis Freeney did work for the uh, police, the Chicago police, for like 18 years. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Prior to yeah, acting. Say, so, so Dennis, Dennis Freeney is the other one. hilarious. Is, I mean, every single, I think every single word that Dennis Freeney says in this movie works. It's the, the tone. Oh, and, he has, and he has the same, he is kind of like the, uh, he's the mirror to Yafit Koto in terms of the annoyance. Because what you see is, you know, he's supposed to be playing Jimmy Serrano, who's this gangster. But what he is, is he's just on the verge of losing his shit because he's so frustrated with his men at every single yeah. second, right? So he's he says, like, when he, by when, idiots. When he, when he talks to his guys, he's like, is this moron number one? Put moron number two on the phone. <laughs> like, that's how he talks to his guys. He has no respect for them at all. Yeah, and it just, uh, it, it plays off so well. It's, I love uh, this movie. It's he's so also funny. got the, don't say another word, Sydney. I'm going to bury this fucking telephone in your head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Is this moron number one? Put moron number two on the phone. Personally involved in your work, or I'm going to stab you through the heart with a fucking pencil. Do you understand me? But I am supposed to advise you against such acts. Sydney, relax. Have a cream soda. Everything is going to be all over within a few minutes. Let me tell you, two stupid motherfuckers, something. I don't want to get another phone call like this because if I do, I'm going to get on a fucking plane and I'm going to blowtorch the both of you. Do you understand? Don't say a word to me, Sydney. Don't say a fucking word to me. I'll get up and I'll bury this telephone in your head. I know Walsh. He won't take any money from me. He's a very self-righteous type of guy. It aggravates me. Give me... Sydney, me. sit down, relax, have a sandwich, drink a glass of milk, do some fucking thing, will you? Uh, the word fuck is used 119 times in the movie. There's a few of them in there. 119. I don't know if it's the uh, record, but it is nonstop um, swearing. But it all works. I, I, 
I like the score really in this well. film too. So Danny Elfman did the score. I think that he did a nice job with it. It has it's almost an extended version of the song "Try to Believe" that Wingo Boingo song because there's lots of that riff in there throughout it. But it also has some really cool guitar music, like kind of you know slow guitar solos that really do a good job of sort of framing the energy of the film. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice it, compliment to the characters. It moves it along quite nicely too. Yeah. By the way, the answer to your question, Marcus, is um, a movie called Swearnet the Movie. Uh, right. It has a 935 fuck count. 935? Yeah. The, uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously it's a movie about swearing. So the second is um, fuck a documentary on the word. It uses it 857 times. Again, I don't think it really qualifies. Um, so number three, and I think this is the winner. The Wolf hours. of Wall Street. Oh, wow. There you go. 569 times. Whew. And then That's a long closely, movie, too, that, too. Yeah, closely <laughs> followed by Uncut Gems at 506. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. I want to get that. Nice. I'm glad there's people out there counting this for us. Um, one of the great scenes in the movie is the uh, boxcar scene when they're, in the, uh, they're on the train. Yep. And uh, Charles Grodin. The, um, I was reading Martin Brest. At a, the scene was mostly all improv. And Martin Brest asked Grodin, she's like, just come up with something that would make even Robert De Niro laugh. And so that's yeah. when he, that's when he came up with the, uh, you read sex with an animal. <laughs> yeah. You read sex with an animal, Jack. <laughs> good, looking, good looking chickens back there. It was a great, great interaction. Did you ever have sex with an animal, Jack? Remember those chickens around the Indian reservation? There's some good looking chickens there, Jack, you know, between us. Yeah. A couple of them might have taken a shot at <laughs> The dialogue that they give De Niro in this film is fun too. Like there's the, uh, when Charles Grodin is telling him he can't get on the plane because he suffers from whatever the name of the phobia is for flying. And he also, he's like, I suffer from also from claustrophobia and agoraphobia. And De Niro (laughs) replies, if you don't cooperate, you're going to suffer from fistophobia. (laughs) (laughs) So they're they're not afraid to, you know, they're not afraid to make De Niro's character a little juvenile once in a while along the way. And it just kind of adds to it. It's fun. it also has a couple of sweet parts, like the, the kind of underlying story with, um, with De Niro, Jack Walsh and his daughter, and he's trying to like, you know, he's trying to do the right thing and be a good father there too. There's a couple of good kind of sweet scenes in there that does kind of tie it all together. And the ending too, which I won't give it away in case somebody uh, hasn't seen it. I highly recommend you watch this movie. <laughs> um, the, the very end is also very sweet. It has a nice, a nice little upbeat emotional moment. I love it. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time it's probably a top 20 movie for me yeah honestly i don't like it as much as you guys you don't no there's some stuff in it groden i know he's funny i i don't know he annoys me but i still i i like his performance i do but there's something about it that just annoys me a bit what annoys about charles groden what annoys about charles groden i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah exactly I think he's. I think he's like too mellow. But that's a, like yeah. it comes off as so but well because he's playing I, an accountant I, and like it works no, out so well. So, I know. Uh, so two other characters, so other casting. They looked at Albert Brooks to play the Duke. I would have liked Albert Brooks. And they also I, I, I'm a Albert Brooks fan. Yeah. But I think he would have been. He probably would have done a good job. The other ones I mentioned, Robin Williams, but also Chevy Chase was considered. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, 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 boy. would have ruined the movie completely. That would have been a weird energy, man. Chevy yeah. Chase and De Niro. 
Yeah, because he's just so slapstick. I mean, the role calls for the understatement. Although I would pay to see that nowadays. Um, I don't know. I think I think it could be a real. Maybe the first time, like uh, in movie history, where a major film star like killed his co-star. They beat the shit out of his co-star. Like, you know, hey, De Niro, what's with the method acting? <laughs> De Niro stomp. Oh my god! Just, oh my just, god. They're just just beating the crap he out just... of <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Joey Pants. Don't forget about Joey Pants. Oh, yeah, Joey, oh, Joey Pants. Yeah. With his horrible comb over. It's pretty he's, funny. He's great. Like, there's so many, like, all the smaller, because John Ashton is Marvin, too. It just does a great job as the, as you put in the other movie, The Wily Coyote. He just gets his, his butt kicked every, every, every scene he's in. He's just getting, like, beat. Uh, it's so good. I also don't like the score that much. I'm not oh, a big really? fan of, like, the oh. horns and stuff. Yeah, I just. It's very distinctive in this movie, and I, I see why, you know, I think it works in this movie, and so I just don't particularly like them. So that's just, I've just got these little these issues with the movie. But well, I like know, the movie. I saw it recently. I like it, but it's just, it's never been a, a favorite. Uh, there's an article that you can read online about Charles Grodin and the appearances he used to make on late night television. Are you, are you familiar with some of his interviews and the interview style, like where he would, you know, he'd go on the Tonight Show and some of the other, uh, where and he would act, you know, sort of totally annoyed, and it was it was this really weird energy on the interviews. Have you ever, have no. you ever are you familiar with that or watched any of them? It sounds a little familiar. Yeah, it's, I after reading that article, I went and watched a couple of his interviews, and it's you, the Charles Grodin on those interview shows. It feels a little bit like the Jonathan Mardukas in this movie in terms of like, he's there just kind of purposely like sort of, you know, needling the host and having a good time with it. So. Well, see that, that don't totally sounds like something that Chevy Chase would do, except he wouldn't be, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't be as subtle as Groden. Yeah. I think that's what Groden brings. He just brings a very like, can you can almost not tell, is he being serious? Is he not? He's just so subtle to it. It's just like such, the smallest of smirks to it. And that's where I think Chevy Chase would just be full kind of goofy, whereas Grodin plays it so well, like understated. But also like dickish, because that's Chevy Chase. He's dickish. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Grodin doesn't seem that way. Like, no, he doesn't. Yeah. But no, I, I really that's like Probably his, why his, this works. Yeah. I really like his humor in this one too. I think he does. He's so perfect for that role. I love it. It's funny. So I had Midnight Run ahead of both yours number one pick in which you expected me to pick number one which would be the action thriller thriller action yeah. is sure, it a thriller yeah. i wouldn't say it's sure i think it's thrilling, it's when you, thrilling anytime, action. You're ju- anytime you're jumping off the, the roof of an exploding building we uh, with a fire hose wrapped around you i'd assume that that's probably thrilling the thrilling action movie die hard which you both have as number one one of your favorite movies of all time who wants to take this we're doing this as a separate pod. Yeah, we're we? going we're gonna to do okay. a separate pod for this. Yeah, All right. Well, it we deserves can... it. Well, so let's uh, recap. So my top five, starting at number five, The Naked Gun. Number four is Working Girl. Number three is A Fish Called Wanda. Number two is Bull Durham. And number one is Die Hard. Dave? Yes, my number five is Bull Durham. My number four is A Fish Called Wanda. Number three, The Naked Gun. Number two, Midnight Run. And number one, Die Hard. I had... Going backwards, Beetlejuice, Naked Gun, Fish Called Wander. Wander? Wander? One. <laughs> it's got a wah for Wendy. Uh, Fish Called Wanda, Die Hard, and Midnight Run is my number one. I picked Die Hard, I do love. I think it's a great movie. We can do that as a one-off. 
I ended up picking Midnight Run because I think I'd rather just where I am, I'd rather see Midnight Run in a comedy and then seeing more kind of action movies. It's the same reason I didn't pick Predator in my list. Just there's, I my appetite for just shoot em up action movies is like a little bit lower on my list. It's a great movie. I'm not knocking the movie at all, but I just like knock it down. I'd rather see a comedy than- I would, I would definitely ignore my extraction recommendation then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let, let, let me ask you then, Marcus, if, if this is like 20 years ago, which one would Die Hard be number one? Oh, Die, I don't think I saw Midnight Run in uh, 88. I think I saw, like, I don't remember it watching it when it came out. I definitely saw Die Hard, like, probably 10 times in 88. And how many yeah. times uh, have you seen Die Hard? Like, oh, was it, is it significantly more than Midnight Run or? It's probably similar. I mean, I mean I've probably seen Die Hard much more, but more recently, I've probably seen Midnight Run more. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just a matter of taste now, too, just from going to a little less excitement okay. over action movies and. Yeah. How many times have you visited um, scene locations from Midnight Run? <laughs> On purpose, probably none. And uh, what about Die Hard? One, Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. Okay, we did visit. Well, I, I think that answers I, the question. No, about I'm not which knocking. Is number one. I'm not knocking Die Hard as a movie. I think it's an excellent movie, and look forward to talking to it. Just as quotable. I'm just saying, like these days, they're both top movies. Like it's if you had to rank them, I ranked them Midnight Run first. Like they're both excellent, excellent movies. So I, I actually understand exactly what you're talking about because I think nowadays, you know, I rewatch more comedies than I do action movies. And whereas the opposite was true when I was like in my twenties, I was watching action yeah, movies exactly, all the time. Exactly. I mean, it's watching comedies too, but but like I would rewatch like you know Aliens and Die Hard and these movies like over and over and over again. Yeah. When's the last time you actually watched Die Hard? Yeah, it's probably been. 10 years. Wow, really? Yeah, um, I don't think I've seen it in a while. I think I saw yeah, I don't think like I've seen it since I've been married. Last year, maybe like, um, or maybe like a year and a half ago, watched it with Emily. She's going to watch it with me. She loves Die Hard. I mean, I, she doesn't love it as much as I do, but she really likes Die Hard. So we're going to rewatch it again before we do the pod. Yeah, I'm actually going to do, I'm not, I want to watch this one with Mia. So we're going to do it as a lockdown. That one, yeah, I'm really looking see, forward see what to that. To I'm super curious to see what, what her take would be on it not having the you know because in a lot of respects it's the it's one of the, well in my i expressed it on the other pod but i actually think it's arguably one of the two greatest you know action films ever made and probably number one honestly what happens when she says she didn't like it <laughs> and then there's a minor update to the will and we're you know things keep going <laughs> do, do, do you do you add one more criterion to the college funding list <laughs> <laughs> no so i I, I've told her as we as we go. I'm actually. I mean, to me, the 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 reaction that if she has that she doesn't like the movie is actually just as interesting or more interesting than if she does. So, um, I will be okay either way. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the problem with this movie for me, I, like I haven't, I, I can't remember the last time I watched Die Hard, uh, but I saw it so many times and we watched it so many times that you know you feel like you know the movie line by line all the way through. So uh, it'll be fun to go back and sit down and actually watch it too watch the entire thing straight through. I haven't done that in a long, long time. Well, you're, you're in for a treat because um, I hadn't watched it in years and years and years. And just, it's, it's the cliche of like, you know, putting on an, an, an old comfort like, food, comf- comfort jacket or something like some old comfortable jacket, you know, you just slip, slip right in and you're like, Oh my God, this is so great. Um, yeah. And just every single line comes back and you're like, Oh, Oh my God, this is why I remember why I love this movie so much. 
no more table. <laughs> That's a, you know, we should, we should, was, we, we should just I, start. Actually, we should just, we, no. we, like, each of us should put like five bucks in and we should just start the diehard thing and see, just go quote for quote for quote to see until who, who can't come up with one off the top of their head. Oh, I bet we, interesting. I bet we could go for a half hour. I bet we, we could do, probably. honestly go for a half hour. We'd have to do it in person because uh, <laughs> we could cheat. Oh, well, we'd have to, uh, what about the honor uh, system? Uh, fuck honor. Yeah, yeah. I, I find myself five bucks you know, come on. doing, doing diehard <laughs> quotes around the house and like, you know, like Zelda will walk by and I'm like, we're going pal. We're going pal. <laughs> uh, uh, come out to the coast. We'll have a few laughs. I think it's a great one. I think it's like tops of its category. I think it's just the, the category of movies is lower on my list now compared to, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking we save it for the special diehard pod. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> With the exception of Die Hard, <laughs> that is the Real DMC Podcast signing off for the year in review for 1988. And we're mostly, I think, just happy that 88's over at this point. No, we still right. have to watch Accidental Tourist. We've got a Die Hard podcast to do. Have yeah, okay. There's, there, we, we have a few things. A few we things three, more, three more 88 pods yeah. to go. We're only halfway. Okay, forget, what, forget <laughs> what I said. 88 will never end. <laughs> Actually, I sort, sort, sort of like 2020. The yeah. sad news is I think 88 is better than 89. Oh, God. We yeah. might have to do a top three for 89. 89 is a pretty bad year, considering my number one movie is going to be Heathers. <laughs> Actually, there's a few movies. I love that. Heathers. It's a great yeah. movie, but like for that to be the number one for the year is pretty That's uh, pretty bad. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that about Heather's, by the way, because I was asking Mia about, you know, I'm like, hey, I think this might be a movie I want to watch with you. Has she seen and, it? And well, her reaction was, oh, Heather's, you mean the uh, from the Broadway play? What? <laughs> Isn't that, that great? Yeah, Ever Broadway play on Heather's? Yeah, I guess so. I didn't, I didn't even know that. I'm like, what? Wow. Oh, what? Really? <laughs> so, How funny! Surprise to me. It's a great movie. There, that, Broadway's completely no run out of original ideas. Or... Seriously. No. All right, and so this is the Real DMC podcast signing off. <laughs> so I just. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Daniel? Right. Waters. This podcast is like 1988. It just nice. won't ever end. You know what, Dan- Daniel Waters? Waters? Waiters? Waters? Daniel Waters, the writer for Heather's. I'm not even gonna try to wrap it up anymore. You guys just keep talking. Let me know when we're done. He wrapped it up. It's good. We'll say goodbye right. at some point too. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, could you be could you be any more unenergetic? Well, <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta fucking pick a lane, dude. Either you're on me for being too announcery, or I'm not. I don't have enough energy. Not announcery, so. just just hey, everybody. Or, I don't know. Live. Okay. Well, don't be Terry Gross. Sorry, Terry Gross. Hey, everybody! <laughs> Welcome to the Real DMC <laughs> podcast. Smash that like button. <laughs> oh God. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs>